0: Everything is bigger in Texas, including climate change. But luckily, Houston is leading the energy transition. Here in H-Town, the fourth largest city in the United States, entrepreneurs from across Texas and around the world gather to work with titans of industry to build a technology that will reduce emissions and power a low-carbon future.
1: We sit down with those changemakers and wildcatters who are solving the toughest energy challenges. With trillions of dollars on the line, we dig into how Houston will bring technology to market on a massive scale. Join us as we talk with leaders from the energy capital of the world as they show us how the energy transition gets done.
0: I am Nada Ahmed and this is the Energy Technology Podcast.
1: And I'm Jason Etier. Let's jump in.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Energy Technology Podcast. Today, we have with us today Manas Patak, and he is the CEO and co-founder of Earthen. Earthen provides thermomechanical energy storage based on supercritical CO2 operated in a closed loop to provide long-duration energy storage in a low-cost, safe, and with a small footprint. Welcome.
2: Thank you, thanks for having me. Yeah.
1: So uh, I think uh, when we start this, we, we talk about storage, and, and it's been a, a topic for the last um, few months of like, how long is long duration? Um, and so if you could kind of clarify for us where Earthen really lives in that cycle, and, and why that's increasingly important.
2: Yes, I mean, uh, for us, we can do from 4 to over 100 hours. But long duration per DOE definition is 10 plus hours. Mm. And then uh, there's a new liftoff report that recently came out, I think a few months back from DOE that further sort of uh, drills down into the durations. Uh, so there's a band from 10 to 36 hours, and then, uh, which is mostly intraday. So, mm-hmm. And then 36 to over 160 hours. Mm. So we being a flexible energy storage, we can provide anywhere from four to over you know, 100 plus hours, which means up to 160 hours. Mm. However, we're going to go to market initially with eight to 10 hours of duration, mm-hmm. because that's where we're seeing our customers are wanting uh, the most.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, and uh, you, you've developed a solution that's thermomechanical, uses CO2. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, when I first read uh, your brief a uh, year and a half ago, I was thinking, is this uh, carbon capture and storage? It is not carbon capture and storage. This is, a, this is a mechanical solution that's really, in many ways, an evolution on top of compressed air capture. So, I, is that a fair a fair way to describe it?
2: Yeah. So I mean, it's so thermomechanical using carbon dioxide in a closed loop. Yeah. You can think of this as compressed air, but CO two. Yep. But not just CO two, supercritical CO two, which, mm. which is the best form of CO two to use in order to provide a thermomechanical energy storage. Uh, in our, you know, when we do a thermomechanical combined hybrid, we get the efficiencies that cannot be achieved by uh, pure thermal solutions. Mm. Um, so our round trip efficiency, meaning electron in and electron out, is 78 percent, which is now vetted by a third party. Mm. Um, and that we can only achieve when we are thermomechanical.
1: Yeah, and, and that, that exceeds some batteries technologies.
2: Well, that exceeds many technologies. Yeah. I think lithium-ion batteries are hanging around 80 um, percent or so, mm-hmm. so close to lithium-ion batteries. But uh, typical long-duration energy storage solutions tend to be less efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 60s is what they uh, uh, try to achieve for. So, us uh, beating the 75% mark is actually good uh, yeah. for our value proposition.
1: Yeah. And you said some technical things there, like so supercritical CO2, remind me what that is.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically a form of CO2 when you push the CO2 to higher pressures and higher temperatures. In this case, it's around the critical temperature of CO2 is 32 degrees C. And I think the critical pressure is around 1100 psi. So when you push the CO2 phase Mm -hmm. um, above these two points in temperature and pressures, you get what's called supercritical CO2, supercritical phase of matter. I mean, you can have solid liquid and gas. This is kind of like fourth phase. Uh, The best part of supercritical is it behaves like a liquid for certain things and like a gas for certain things. Mm -hmm. So very beautifully, we are able to leverage the thermodynamic properties of co2 when it's in supercritical phase to our advantage and and be able to store energy uh in a closed loop cycle mm. because of that
1: hmm. i definitely misunderstood that <laughs> <laughs> and 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 i guess it, it requires a very um conscious control of the system to maintain that phase yeah i mean <clears throat> you <clears throat> <sighs> take a moment <laughs>
2: yeah you, you gotta just stay above the critical points, Mm -hmm. so critical pressure and critical temperature, as long as you're staying above those T and P, Mm -hmm. you will be in supercritical phase. So if you look at our cycle in our pressure temperature plot, we are always kind of above the dome, Mm -hmm. uh, which is like the uh, phase boundary. So we are always operating in supercritical phase. Mm -hmm. Uh, When it's in supercritical phase, um, you know, it's at higher densities, which translate to higher energy density Mm. so which translates to a lower uh, footprint on the ground so that's why we could ship our systems on a flatbed truck we have a smaller footprint um, uh, of the batteries much like how people buy lithium-ion batteries today Uh, unlike other long duration energy storage which looks like a huge power plant uh, we do not look like that because Mm. of higher uh, fluid density and higher energy density
0: so when that battery pack is being used, is that supercritical CO2 being converted?
2: Yeah, so fundamentally uh, what we are doing is we have a lower pressure phase of CO, supercritical CO2 and a higher pressure phase. Mm-hmm. What we're doing is we are toggling CO2 from a lower P to a higher P and vice versa. And then this toggle between a high P and a low P, uh, there's of course temperature that goes up and down but during the toggle we charge the battery and discharge the battery mm-hmm. so when we compress to higher p that's charging
3: mm-hmm.
2: right we compress mm-hmm. it that's charge and then we let it expand it's the discharge phase mm-hmm. so it goes mm-hmm. back to the lower pressure phase got it okay.
1: and and it's the special properties of co2 that lets you do that versus other um molecules
2: Right. right, so I mean, if you look at compressed air, uh, compressed air is great, but it just requires a lot of space. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you have to have caverns or huge tanks to store uh, air, which is very dense, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the air is around us, so it's very dense fluid. Now you can get a, you can have a higher density uh, air when you do liquefy the air. Mm-hmm. That's called liquefied compressed air. Uh, they call it LCAS. Mm-hmm but liquefying air requires cryogenic temperatures which is very hungry energy hungry process mm. in co2 you can liquefy it at room temperatures mm. Mm. provided you are at enough high enough pressures you can liquefy co2 at like 30 degrees c mm. Mm. which in texas is kind of like you know ambient room temperature yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's
3: mm. within a reach of room so now you can have liquor light yeah. thing sitting yeah. mm.
2: next to you at room temperature. So we don't have to waste energy and liquefying uh, mm. co2 and you get that volume benefit which allows you to get that power density exactly yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so that's why co2 is the ideal for us to do mm-hmm. a you know a compressed um uh, thermomechanical energy storage mm-hmm.
3: got
1: it and if i remember from compressed air so some of the challenges includes the, the heat generation from compression and and managing that ends up being a big um focus of the engineering but i, I imagine with using kind of a supercritical super process it's uh the the supercritical liquid gas phase absorbs a lot of the heat or it allows you to manage it more effectively,
3: yeah,
2: I mean so there is some heat of compression which yeah. is actually desired because mm. when you know when you have the heat of compression being produced, we do not let it out, mm. so we are not rejecting any heat, we are trying to have almost zero heat rejection that's what allows us to have higher efficiency mm-hmm. so any of the heat any heat of the compression actually goes into our thermal energy storage systems mm-hmm. so we have tes thermal energy storage that uh, stores heat mm-hmm. and the heat of compression is stored in that Got it. so it's it is there but it does not uh, uh, affect us in fact it helps us because it's a, in a closed loop cycle if you're storing the heat and re- you know bringing it back into the discharge phase All in all, you don't hit your efficiencies as much.
3: Mm.
1: Okay.
0: So, what kind of batteries are you most competing with?
2: So, you know, we of course compete with lithium-ion batteries because of the problems that they have, such as they can't do long durations. Because Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you want to go long durations with lithium-ion batteries, you have to stack many of those systems, which is uneconomical Mm -hmm. in longer durations. Mm -hmm. Uh, In our systems we have power and energy decoupled from each other, which means for a specific megawatt, you can increase the duration by just filling more CO2 in. So it becomes an incremental cost of just material to go longer durations for earthen, while in lithium-ion case, you have to just buy more systems Mm -hmm. because the power energy is coupled from each other. So we compete with lithium-ion in short durations, Mm -hmm. four, six, eight hours. Then, of course, there are like, I think last I checked, 300 startups in long durations, mm-hmm. energy storage, and so we compete with all of them. Uh, mm-hmm. If you look if you look at uh, certain technologies, you know, gravity, mm-hmm. uh, thermal, pure thermal systems, uh, you know, some other flow batteries, which have their own challenges being very acidic, uh, t- you know, tank, tanks, huge tanks filled with acidic material that is not very mm-hmm. environment friendly. So, flow batteries are also our competitors. Yeah.
0: So you came to the US in 2013 from India to do your PhD. Yeah. Was this idea that kind of developed there or is this something that, you know, over the years you've thought about and now brought to light?
2: Yeah, it was definitely not developed in PhD. What happened in PhD was a good training in thermodynamics during my PhD in chemical engineering uh being a chemical engineer you are kind of exposed to you know some of these fundamentals of fluids including thermodynamics and fluid mm-hmm. flow etc As a good training there specifically my thesis work which was around thermo- understanding the thermodynamics of uh, oil and gas mm-hmm. within the nanopores of shale rocks in the kerogen which is an organic material found in shale rocks gave me a good understanding of how to un- you know, look at the thermodynamic properties of the fluids that understanding came handy when, uh, you know, we were looking at energy storage solution and developing one, uh, which is almost, I think, five years after I graduated from PhD, when energy transition was happening in Mm. front of our eyes. I was working for a huge uh, uh, semiconductor company out of Silicon Valley, but I was still talking to my PhD peers and my professors. And energy transition was happening in front of us, and we could see, well, the cheapest electron that you can get today is from solar, and they are also the greenest. So why the transition can't happen? And it turns out that, in, you know, you can get the cheapest and, and greenest electron from solar, but they are not available 24-7 because you get it only when sun is shining. And the same goes for wind. Mm. So the energy storage was mm. the nut uncracked in the entire transition and that was that's what led to the genesis of finding an energy storage solution and as a as a chemical engineer i just had to look back into my training as a chemical engineer and and try to figure out a way to do that so with with oil and gas background and thermodynamics understanding we put together this thermomechanical system using co2 that very beautifully plays with the thermodynamic properties of co2 mm-hmm. And delivers you a best-in-class energy storage system.
1: Yeah, and and if I recall, you were working on this through an MBA, or was it part of an MBA program?
2: Right. So as an engineer yeah. back in the day, when I was finishing my PhD, I actually had a product called Rock on a Chip, mm-hmm. where you use um, semiconductor processes and and print a uh, rock geometry uh, in on a chip, and then perform some fluid flow simulations like in real experiments before you go drill a well. Mm. So I thought this is a phenomenal product. This is going to just sell. <laughs> right. And then turns out, you know, USD did end up filing some patents on it, but turns out, nope, building a product is one thing, but building a company is altogether a different ball game. Mm. So I took that learning when I ca- came out of PhD and I've always been, there has always been a fire in the belly around mm. entrepreneurship, just wanting to do entrepreneurship. So it was there with me that I don't know how to build a company. So with me working in the corporate for six years across 10 different roles, spanning engineering, engineering management, all the way to sales and marketing, I understood enough about how the corporates work and how companies function. And then to put nail on the coffin, did my MBA. Mm. And to just formally understand the business side of thing as an engineer, uh, with of course, focus on entrepreneurship. During the times in MBA, Arten was founded. So the, you know, the intent of going into MBA school was that I walk out with a startup.
3: Mm, mm-hmm.
0: So you, would you recommend an MBA to people wanting to be entrepreneurs?
2: No, it's not needed. <laughs> <laughs> because guess what? One thing I learned out of MBA is how do you build a company? Answer is people. Yeah, It's all about people. Mm-hmm. The first check that came into the company, they didn't even ask. They understood technology, but didn't look under the hood, mm-hmm. right? So it's all about people. That's what I understood. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you are hearing this podcast, just understand that and skip your B-school.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. But uh, do you, are there, uh, to, to defend the B-school, but I didn't get an MBA, so I am like the, the one here looking at this. Do, do you think you would have made the leap without going to B-school?
2: No, I think it gave me more confidence in all facets of the business, like, you know, reading a balance sheet, mm. putting together a performer document. So, I mean, those things, you know, these are skills that you can very easily learn outside B-School, but it's part of the B-School process as mm. well. So, you know, if you have, if you don't have an idea right now mm-hmm. or a company that you're working on, then go do a B-School.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: If you can afford it
2: if you can afford it, and if you don't have an idea,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: The, the problem with going to be school to uh, go to a startup is afterwards you will not be able to afford it until you get funded. So there, there's that double, double-edged sword there.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I definitely there are pros and cons, and I think a lot of people do MBAs when they're in like in that transition phase where like they really want to be an entrepreneur but don't have that complete confidence yet. And maybe that MBA provides you that space, that confidence, perhaps even the network to say, you know what, I'm ready to do this.
2: Uh, yeah network is great i mm. mean that's how we started i mean we are uh, sort of a asu spin-off arizona mm. state university is where we went to mm. the business school and the first check came from ASU, as you mm. know and the, the the first connections came from asu so networking is a great deal of uh, business school however if you already have a company and mm. you're already working on you just don't have time to do a B school like in uh in the second year of my b school i was like when do i get over with this thing yeah. Because I need to run a company and I don't have time. Yeah. Mm. I took all my classes online. They were all useful. Don't get me wrong. But I just don't have time to juggle between a B-school and building a company. So I tried to minimize all my B-school things in the second half of the oh. uh, uh, program and focus on the company. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. yeah no, I was just staying on that topic, um, I think I, I, there have been news recently that universities across the board are losing people like people don't want to go mm-hmm. get an education and i think a lot of it is because these days like you said you can learn all these things online there're lots of courses you can take on how to read a balance sheet all the mba courses you can find them online too so you know letting people know that if you really want to be lean and also c- come up with your own startup you c- you can learn these skills
3: yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah
2: you know eventually startup becomes a scale up and then you do mm-hmm. want to be uh, you know a CEO or a founder mm. that is running a 100 to a 1,000 employees company, mm-hmm. uh, those are different skills. B-School does teach you some of those skills. Uh, but again, the, the world is full of YouTube videos and, mm-hmm. and Coursera's and other yeah. ways of learning that you don't need to go to B-School.
1: Mm. I, would, I would counterpoint, I've met plenty of MBAs who do not know how to run 100 person teams. So maybe that's a different skill set that yeah. you have to develop somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but no, it's it's uh, I can see how it was important in your journey to get to where you are. Um, was it was there an acceleration program as, as affiliated with the, the B-School? It was an evening MBA program. Okay. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then but I, I recall you uh, you ended up uh, getting uh, an early pilot um, with a laboratory. Right. Or am I misremembering?
2: Uh, early. Like to,
1: to demonstrate the the concept.
2: I mean, we were working with national labs. Okay, that's what it was. Right. Tell us a little and, bit about that. And yeah. some laboratories in the in the university for the mm. demonstration. Yeah, yeah. so
1: yeah. tell us about that project, how you got it, where it left you. Yeah.
2: Well, so I mean, we need to demonstrate our technology, right? So um, we just knocked the doors of the labs that we know knew of at the time. So one of them was my alma mater back in Utah, mm. my PhD school, uh, and the connections through the PhD school. Uh, and then some other national labs that we came um, across by you know, going to conferences and, mm-hmm. and connections that we were able to make.
3: Yeah,
1: did you start with building like a, a small proof of concept, and did they test it?
2: Yeah, so I mean, what we did is uh, uh, started a contract mm. with the laboratory because we didn't have a lab of our own. Mm-hmm. So we con- started a contract with laboratories mm. in this case uh, who, can, who have the expertise and the equipment to demonstrate our cycle mm-hmm. there was some sort of smart decision making that went into that because <clears throat> being bootstrapped till today
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh putting you know doing a demonstration is, is expensive mm-hmm. so either you value it up front and then start a prototype development of your own including by some expensive machines, which you probably won't use it as you scale up to the next level. So like from, uh, in our case, going from a hundred kilowatt to a megawatt, we won't use whatever we bought for hundred kilowatt. Mm. So the smart thinking there was, how about we leverage the existing equipment in several of these laboratories and have them demonstrate our technology, uh, which is just a contract for them. It's a good uh, uh, income source, sort of. Uh, And for us, it's just an OPEX expense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did.
1: Okay. And uh, if I recall, uh, uh, in your journey, you've also uh, secured some grants along the way.
2: Right. So now we have overall $1.15 million of support from DOE Mm -hmm. in form of earthen dollars or lab dollars dedicated to earthen project. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And that all came along with, uh, started with Innovation Crossroads program. So this is a lab embedded entrepreneurship program uh, funded by DOE Mm -hmm. uh, across few national labs. So this one happens to be in Oak Ridge National Lab. Now, ours was a special case because when we won this grant or uh, fellowship, uh, we brought a new sponsor. So Office of Electricity uh, found out about our application And they decided to uh, be a first-time sponsor for any company in Lab and Embedded Entrepreneurship Program. So the Lab folks were happy because you know we we brought a new uh, sponsor Um, that started the overall 500k of support from DOE Office of Electricity. Mm. And on the day one of the program, we got additional support um, from uh, other three offices, including the manufacturing offices in DOE. Uh, That was almost 650k of. Mm. Technology commercialization fund that went into Okrish National Lab to develop a new class of heat exchanger that goes in our system with better efficiency and lower cost um, that Arthan would be able to utilize in our systems. Mm. So that's the story behind two grants. On the left and right, we are writing more grants. We have uh, customers, pilots commented from customers, mm-hmm. and those customers are putting together the grants um, with us Mm -hmm. in the proposals for the grant.
3: Good.
0: And you have some really good news to share with us coming from um, New York Climate Week.
2: Yes. So that happened, I think, uh, last week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thursday, there was an event uh, where uh, formally it was announced that New Lab, a deep tech innovation hub uh, out of New York, Orsted, one of the leading energy companies in the world, huge wind developer offshore wind developer they uh, put together a new uh, studio uh, called future energy storage studio to help commercialize uh, some of the best in class technologies out there in long duration energy storage and we were chosen as uh, the first one of the first five startup to be uh, uh, accepted into the studio now there are so we signed an MOU with state and New Lab, and uh, uh, the idea here is to, they, you know, they will be helping us with sites, potential pilot sites and demonstration sites, and will be, uh, you know, embedding the ecosystem in the New York that they are pulling together, uh, including, uh, you know, local universities like Stony Brook University and and um, Uh So eventual success to earthen is uh our demonstration pilot mm-hmm. in somewhere in new york
1: yeah does that mean you're gonna be re- relocating to new york for a little while
2: well uh maybe traveling to new york like i've been traveling for last three weeks and <laughs> yeah. stop so we may travel but good news is that we are moving to Edge town
3: mm-hmm. good so
2: formally, you know, when I announced that uh, next year, early next year after a round, mm-hmm. uh, three a round, we will be relocating ourselves to Houston.
1: Good, glad to hear it. And, yes. and why Houston?
2: Uh, uh,
1: besides the obvious. We, we, we know why, but let's <laughs> yeah. hear you say
0: it.
2: Yeah. yeah, because this town is bubbling mm-hmm. with clean energy entrepreneurship mm-hmm. right now. If you look at Greentown, you look mm-hmm. at Iron Building and what you all guys are doing, I mean, there's no way we can stay away from Houston. Mm -hmm. The amount of clean energy entrepreneurship that's happening and the ecosystem that's building around it is phenomenal Mm -hmm. compared to none of the cities that I have seen in the US. So um, earlier, you know, we are long duration energy storage, of course, uh, but a version of our product, a variant of our product can convert a CO2 pipeline into energy storage Mm -hmm. asset. So many of the, uh, Oil and gas uh, companies we were talking to as, you know, potential investors, but now they are also potential customers.
3: Mm.
2: So Houston just got very important. And this all happened in last, Mm. you know, quarter or so. Mm -hmm. So we made a decision that after our our series A, which is upcoming, we will move to Houston. So tomorrow on Friday, I'm actually visiting a couple of the office spaces Mm. and hunting office spaces for our move.
0: Mm. And where are you moving from?
2: uh phoenix arizona okay
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah i think it's like a uh i don't know little known fact maybe people in the industry know but you know we, we have some of the biggest like co2 pipelines in the country mm-hmm. um if i remember maybe it was 10 years ago kinder morgan used to be the biggest at mm-hmm. at that um but it's it's uh that's why ccus is so interesting here mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. because you already know how to move the hydrocarbons well some The carbons right mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I guess, tell us a little bit about this variant on this product you've developed. So this is, uh, taking your turbo, machinery and your storage system and attaching it to a pipeline.
2: Right. So we basically retrofit pipeline, uh, with our system. Mm -hmm. If you recall back in the day, uh, like when I mentioned about our technology, we were toggling from a low pressure phase of CO2 to a high pressure phase of CO2. That's the process of storing Mm -hmm. and releasing Mm -hmm. energy the low pressure site can be swept by a pipeline mm. because the pressure and temperatures that a low pressure tank has mimics the pressure and temperatures and the phase of CO2 in the pipelines, mm. which means now we can use and leverage a CO2 pipeline and compress just in time when we are discharging our battery mm-hmm. uh, and release power. Mm. So intercepting 100 feet of pipeline and the entire mass flow rate of the co2 in the pipeline gives you 20 megawatt of power yeah which oh, wow. is which is phenomenal
3: mm-hmm.
1: so, so uh, just a tangent question because I'm, I'm less familiar obviously we have like oil storage and we have gas storage is there co2 storage that exists that you could tap into
2: right so what's happening now there's not i mean more and more you are seeing these days as a ccus hub yeah and many of these hubs coming up with funding from uh, doe and mm-hmm. elsewhere which means now you have some sort of point capture or DAC, direct mm. capture of CO2, and then eventual sequestration of CO2, mm. which oil and gas is very good at, right? Because mm. we know how to drill. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, between the DAC or the point source mm. and the eventual destination, which could mm. be enhanced oil recovery or sequestration, there's always a CO2 transport. Got it. That happens in pipelines, and that's why you have a network of pipeline already existing, and more and more coming yeah. with the DAC, with the CCUS hubs mm-hmm. coming in the US. Got it. Uh, those pipelines can actually, with Arten, can be converted into an energy storage asset. Got it. Which means now you can have your DAC be powered by solar and wind, and at the same time, when the sun is not shining and wind is not blowing, use the pipeline converted into LDAS energy storage, Mm -hmm. power those deck operations um, uh, when Mm -hmm. the sun Mm -hmm. and wind are not active. Got it. So you have clean energy powering your deck.
1: Yeah, very interesting. Um, And I I don't know if we we delved into it, but you have a question?
0: No, I was just wondering, like, have you tested that yet, or is that still, like, on a concept?
2: Right, so... Our, our cycle demonstration is happening right now. We have some mm-hmm. data already. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cycle does not change mm-hmm. whether you replace, mm-hmm. ta- when you swept tank with a pipeline. Mm-hmm. On a pressure temperature plot, it's just still same CO2. Mm-hmm. The molecule does not differentiate between when it's stored inside a tank or a pipeline. Mm-hmm. So the cycle demonstra- demonstration that is work in progress and, and some of it is already done, uh, will both the pipeline use case and the the base use case the the non-pipeline use case Uh, but then the pilot that we are going to do next year would be two different pilots one for the pipeline and one for the utility scale uh, energy storage without pipeline
3: Yeah,
0: and this would be together with the ERSTED collaboration
2: Uh, yes I mean they would be Hmm. part of Hmm. one of these pilots at least Hmm.
0: Yes,
1: good fantastic and um remind me um what is it people are buying when they buy the pilot is it is it a, is it a box is it the equipment how much of the system do you have to put together for them
2: so i mean we are doing the entire end to end right mm-hmm. so we are serving the entire product on a platter to the customer mm-hmm. these pilots are first of its kind pilot mm-hmm. we are still working with the customers on how what the business model may look like mm-hmm. in terms of them owning the asset are them just using the services off of the asset mm-hmm. that we, and will own. Uh, that's called PPA, mm-hmm. uh, Power mm-hmm. Purchasing Agreement. Mm-hmm. That's work in progress with the customers, mm-hmm. but it can only take one of these two forms.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: S- so how do you define your customers right now?
2: Uh, we have five segments of customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the major segment is ut- uh, utility scale energy storage. So all the utilities that provide electricity mm-hmm. to you and me. Uh, Some of them do own the asset. Others like to do PPA. We are open to both. Uh, The second segment of the customers is CNI space, commercial industrial space that require energy storage uh, for resiliency, for cost savings, Mm -hmm. for energy arbitrage, for peak shaving use cases. Uh, Then we have CO2 pipeline. Mm -hmm. And then EV charging is also one of the customers. Mm
1: -hmm. Is is the system reactive enough to provide like backup power or is it not um is that a different value proposition
2: yeah i mean of course uh mm. uh you know we, we can turn on our systems in a matter of minutes mm. mm-hmm. uh, because this is a co2 based uh, turbine unlike steam turbines which can take mm. mm-hmm. several tens of minutes to power ramp up co2 turbines can ramp up fairly quick because of the size these are mm. very small turbines because of the densities being mm. high mm-hmm. uh, so in matter of few minutes, we will be up providing the power. For a certain use case, you do need um, like backup coming online in like few seconds. Yeah. And that would be, you know, that would potentially continue to be the UPS battery, UPS uh, for data centers. And if there are some other use cases, um, it will continue to be lithium ion. Yeah. UPS. No, kind I remember of storage.
1: I think it was like for hospitals and things like that. They needed like a six cent, a six second startup. Mm-hmm. Um And then, you know, then they would hand off to something that was longer storage because yeah. you don't want to necessarily run your, your diesel recip for hours and hours if you don't have to. Um, but right. I'm not sure the I don't know if the state of the art allowed for that kind of mm-hmm. handover. I remember it was something that that was being talked a lot uh, about
2: five or six years ago. Yeah. So that handoff typically does happen. And then that's handoff is where we come in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So just curious. So suppose um, you're charging your you call it a tank or a battery pack, what do you call it? You just call it
2: like, you know, CO2 battery. CO2 Mm -hmm.
0: battery, so you're charging your battery um, using solar. And then when you have to discharge it, does it it have to happen right away? Because does it lose, keep on, start losing energy once it stops charging? Do you have to use it right away or can you just like store it and use it later?
2: No, No, you're gonna store it and use it later. There would be some leakage of heat from the thermal side yeah, and we modeled it out to be three percent over seventy-two hours. Mm. That's uh, not bad. Like, yeah. what's
1: what's a lithium-ion battery by comparison over that same time? Yeah,
2: they lose char- they lose their state of the charge as well. I don't know mm. off the top yeah. of my head what the number is, yeah. but yeah, you can't sit on them for long.
0: Yeah. And what kind of uses are you envisioning
2: for our system? for the battery?
0: Yeah, like would it be? You know, you mentioned EV. Um, what do you think would be the first adopters?
2: I mean, so. First adopters, because of the because of the sign off that we need from utilities, Mm -hmm. would need to be a utility. Mm -hmm. Even though the it probably Mm -hmm. would be the last check that come into uh, in our in our company would be from utilities because of their sales cycles being too long. However, we do need their sign off on our technology by demonstration and pilot with them first. Mm -hmm. Got it. So utilities would be the first um, uh, sort of company we will go and do pilot. However, the first market that we will go into would probably be sort of demand charge use case and EV Mm. battery and fleet chargings and some of the CNI space.
1: So so this would be like supporting so they don't have to install as much infrastructure um, at the charging facility itself, right?
2: Right. So uh, basically demand charge, uh, you know, if you have all of your EV chargers being hooked to car at one point that you are now using the peak power. Mm. And that peak power is what you will pay for for the rest of your month or even more than month.
1: And, and that's more of a California phenomenon or is that something that happens here in, in Texas? I,
2: I'm not sure about the Texas, but several states have this demand charge. Okay. And so you want to reduce like EV charging and fleet owners for the EV chargers want to reduce that demand charge. Mm. So for example, they would have six cars be charged directly from the grid but then the the rest six if mm. they happen to come at the same time can be charged from the stored energy got it mm. got it yeah
0: would the scale be different for like utilities versus like ev or are you thinking the, the skills would be different yeah. yes mm. Mm.
2: so all these utilities uh, are all 10 megawatt and up 50 mm. megawatt mm. um the ev space and the cni space is all about one to five megawatt
3: mm.
2: and even smaller but as a turbo machinery we don't want to go small so we start with one
3: yeah yeah
1: uh it's you know with all these rapid charging where everyone wants to charge in 10 minutes it's like you forget how much power is actually needed to do that mm. um
0: and it's actually not good for your battery
1: well, well I, I think something? that's what they're yeah. trying to solve yeah. right is to make it so it doesn't yeah. burn out the battery but yeah. um uh uh, it it really just puts a strain on the like the the, the grid infrastructure and that peak charge, especially if you have everyone pull in at the same time. Right. Right. Yeah.
2: And, yeah. And then the back end. So, uh, you know, behind the meter mm-hmm. and in front of the meter, there are use cases in EV charging both. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, for utilities, they want to make sure that if all the EVs are hooked up at the same time, there is still a balance in the consumption and the generation because grid needs to be balanced at all times. Yeah right so for for them it's more about making sure that they have that capacity to um sustain Mm -hmm. so many evs coming online
3: yeah yeah
1: Hmm. um i want to just shift a little bit and talk about your your fundraising journey so it seems like um we talked about grants and and grant programs you pulled in um have you been bootstrapped the entire time through today so
2: prize money a lot of competitions that we won Mm -hmm. like pretty much most competitions we go to we end up winning yeah um so that uh helped us stay afloat uh a pre-seed round with fem- friends and family mm-hmm. uh, that helped us and then every credit, credit card that you can think of has been used in earthen yep um business line of credit has been used in earthen that all on top of uh the doe money mm-hmm. and some of the we also won the Seed award. Mm, what, is, what is that? KLCED like? is a is basically for people uh, with you know use case in California mm-hmm. and uh, belonging to California. CEC, California Energy Commission, has this program called Seed, mm-hmm. California Seed Money, basically. Okay. Uh, so we won that as well recently. Mm-hmm. It was announced a few weeks back. So all these non-dilutive grants and other means of um, non dilutive financing such as credit cards and mm. friends and family keeps us, uh, kept us float. Uh, the time has come yeah. when we need to raise. What just happened is over the last two quarters or so is that now we have pilots mm. and we need to deliver on these pilots. Yeah. So this is our first raise, mm-hmm. but because of this, the sum of the money is a uh, little on the high end, um, $30 million or so, it does not qualify as a seed round, mm-hmm. so it's, we're gonna call it three A. Yep. yep. And I just in my mind, we call it first race and mm-hmm. people may want to call it three A. Yeah.
1: No, I, I think it's mm-hmm. it's very realistic. Like this is what it takes to build something like this is thirty million dollars, and you've done a lot with not raising capital. Mm-hmm. So I, I was very impressed, kind of seeing you again um, ahead of the the Rice Energy uh, uh, Venture Forum, and I think I met Karthik uh, over there as well. Um, you guys made so much progress and, and I'm amazed um how scrappy the team is. Um and uh it's uh, it's been you've been very efficient with the capital. Um and, and I, I hope uh investors who see you know what you're doing with it, it's you know, it's very purposeful. Um and uh in, in some ways, if you want to go fast, 30 million dollars is not enough, right? Especially if you think about all the capacity we have to bring on um but uh you got to do one step at a time so mm-hmm. you got to get those pilots out before you can go off and, and really start deploying product right yeah
2: because a series b will entail manufacturing yeah and will entail building a big factory yeah somewhere in texas or somewhere else uh so that would be a big series b round yeah. the series a purpose is delivering on the pilots um growing the team mm. and the the other one third will go towards R r d D. Mm. Uh, we will be continuing on R&D to reduce the cost of our systems and increase the efficiencies of our system. Yeah. To meet the DOE cost targets and be market competitive at all times as we go from now until 2030
1: yeah. and beyond.
3: Mm. Yeah,
1: In MBA school, do they call that uh, value engineering? Is I think it? so. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, in, in the uh, like defense in- industry, it would always call it, like we gotta get value out of it. Like, mm. We're just reducing costs, guys. Why can't we call it that?
2: But, yeah, I just call this cost cost, cost reduction R&D. Yeah, mm. um, yeah. I mean being uh, bootstrapped uh, had his own pros and cons. I yeah. think uh, sometimes we had to figure out for every travel mm. how we get funds for this. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it did allow us to stay lean and taught us how to stay lean, mm-hmm. which is gonna come handy because we uh, at Earth End, we exit by IPO. Mm-hmm. That's a long haul. Yeah. And we we will have to continue lean all the way through that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So mm.
2: The best practices that we have now learned will help us
1: yeah and, and when you look at it to the series b um when do you think you'll be able to bring a product to market um in kind of like an uh, alpha beta configuration
2: yeah so the these first of its kind demonstration that we are uh, right now doing the pre-feed so mm-hmm. pre front end engineering design and then we'll kick off formally the feed studies and the construction next year mm-hmm. these will deliver first of its kind demonstration of our project product and, and that would be at TRL uh, all the way seven or eight. Mm-hmm. So then the next thing in the series B would be basically building the assembly mm-hmm. facility um, and the manufacturing facility to deliver on the contracts that we will have mm-hmm. from the customers. Mm-hmm. So series B will allow us to deliver at scale mm-hmm. to the contracts that we will gather by then. Yeah. So if when you say you know first commercial product in the market, we are looking at 2026 mm-hmm. and seven range. Yeah,
1: yeah. Not Not that far away. No. In the it's not things. bad actually. Yeah. And, a, and a lot of that's because the the turbo machinery technology is pretty mature and and all the components, if I remember.
2: They are, yeah. but supercritical CO2 is is a different beast mm-hmm. altogether. So steam turbines and other turbines are very mature. However, the expertise lie. Mm-hmm. Uh. Within these companies and the OEMs uh, to deliver subcritical CO two turbo machinery as well. Mm. Uh, So we are working with tier one OEMs who, you know, have the expertise to deliver these systems, um, subcritical CO two systems for us.
3: Cool. Good.
0: Um, Yeah. Yeah, No, I think um, uh, again to like piggyback on what uh, Jason was saying, um, I think it's a great. Your Earthen is a great role model for other companies also. In in the same journey and thinking versus you know VC investment versus bootstrapping and that you can do it especially when it's for comp- for something that you're building that's so capital intensive mm-hmm. um, but at the same time knowing that there are lots of grants available there are lots of labs that you could use and and really have that lean mm-hmm. mentality yeah so no, congratulations on that. Mm.
2: You know, it was at one mm. point, it was a chicken and the egg problem that, okay, we, wanna, we have to build something and then the investment will come. But then, how do we build because it's so capital intensive? Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the climate change is going to take uh, everyone's help. Mm-hmm. And when you ask for help, people, people are there to help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, we, what we came across is we leveraged yeah. partnerships mm-hmm. to deliver this mm-hmm. uh, proof of the concept mm-hmm. uh, while staying lean.
0: Yeah.
2: And then, once you have done it, now the investments would be easier. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: you're in a good position now because you can show that you one, you can stay lean, you can be responsible, um, and you have a proof of concept. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, do you have a personal climate impact story to share with us?
2: Yeah, I do. I mean, I was born and brought up in India, one of mm-hmm. the remote remote mm-hmm. locations, and um, you know, when the power was out, mm-hmm. which was very often the case, you would see power outages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm the smallest homes and the houses were typically the darkest Mm, mm -hmm. so you know what i realized uh when i was a child that you know that there is a disparity in how electrons are consumed Mm there's like you know it's not everybody is not getting an equitable share of their electrons in this world Mm -hmm. and when you look at electrons and electricity i mean after your food shelter and clothes. this is the fourth basic necessity Mm -hmm. of human life. Mm -hmm. When you have a power outage, you know, everything just stands still. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Your iPhones will start to, you know, discharge. You can't, your ACs go down. You can't do anything. Mm -hmm. In 21st century, electricity is, I would say, more critical than some of the other things like food, shelter and and Mm -hmm. home Mm -hmm. uh, and clothes. Mm -hmm. So I think fair and equitable distribution of electrons to everybody who needs it in a clean,
3: mm-hmm.
2: green, and a resilient way, wherever they are, is very important. And that's what the motto of the company is. Mm-hmm. My other co-founder, who is the CTO, he did not see electricity until he went to college. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, we came from the background where we understand not having electrons is, is not nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody should have access to clean, green electrons whenever they need it, wherever they need it. Mm-hmm. And that's why Earthen is not just an energy storage company, but we are actually enabling all pathways of electrification. Mm. Our vision is to electrify the globe. We are an electrification company. Mm-hmm. So we are starting off with our energy storage product to enable solar and wind so that you can have ex- 24x, 7 access to clean electrons. However, our supercritical CO2 cycle that we have developed allows us to enable other pathways of electrification, Mm -hmm. which includes nuclear, Mm -hmm. because nuclear produces heat, and one of the best ways of uh, converting heat to electrons, electricity, is through a power cycle, Mm -hmm. or a supercritical CO2-based power cycle, Mm -hmm. which is what we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Green hydrogen Mm -hmm. uh, running uh, hydrogen production in the nighttime through our stored energy and then event, eventually geothermal, where mm. you're producing baseload power using CO2 as the, as the fluid. Mm-hmm. We will enable all pathways of electrification mm-hmm. because the end goal is to see clean electrons going everywhere.
3: Good.
1: Oh, thank you for sharing. Yeah.
0: It's a powerful uh, mission. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so we're, uh, we're thinking about you coming to Houston, and, and I know you've been coming for a, a while. Um, what are some things that excite you about Houston outside of like, the, um, the customer base in terms of the startup ecosystem here?
2: i mean it's great i mean when i've been to some of the green town events mm. and the iron events uh you know the, the people the network and just the the energy knowledge mm. that exists in this town is uh phenomenal mm-hmm. you, you can't compare it with any anything else uh outside houston everybody understands energy uh you know they speak the language mm-hmm. of energy either it's fossil and now it's clean mm. um, as a town I think it has done a phenomenal job in converting from the oil and gas capital to the clean energy capital. I think I've seen it over the last two to three years. That's happening. Uh, some other thing that I like about it is which which was I was exposed recently to is the tunnel network. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was uh, hunting for office space, and the realtor was like, uh, "So you can just go down one level, and you can have all the restaurants." I'm like, "What? What are you talking about?" <laughs> Uh, I did not know that. I think I've heard of it, but I would really never witnessed it. Then I went one day down and it was, wow, there's Mm -hmm. a tunnel that connects all the downtowns and like all the fancy restaurants and the nice restaurants where you want to eat are there.
1: To be clear, this is because Houstonians don't think about outside where it's hot. And this is all about keeping the AC going while you're trying to go around downtown. Which
2: is something I really appreciate coming Mm -hmm. from Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, Mm
3: -hmm. yeah. So
2: I I think overall great weather, uh, you know, great for building a company. Mm Uh, investors, ecosystem, uh, fellow entrepreneurs, mm. and folks like IONS and, and Green Town Labs. I think it's just no-brainer for a company yeah. like Arton to be in Houston, but not anywhere else.
1: Yeah. So what was um, Houston missing that maybe didn't draw you in sooner?
2: I think it was us not being ready rather than Houston. Mm-hmm. So we saw the, mature, the growth and the maturity of Houston as a clean tech capital. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely one thing that has, you know, over time it's becoming... Uh, more and more clean energy capital of the world if you will at the same time Earthens maturity was not there for us to move as a company mm-hmm. so now i think both are happening <laughs> mm-hmm. Houston is 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 growing and and uh Earthen is growing too and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like the right time to do this mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we like to hear that. Yeah, and we want more talent and more startups to come to Houston. So I'm glad you're you're going to be here in town now.
2: Right, and uh, truth be told, Rice mm. Alliance uh, did a phenomenal job in mm. exposing us to the Houston ecosystem because we've been coming to Houston for s- almost every Rice Alliance event. Mm. You know, we, mm. we we were announced uh, two times in a row most promising companies in yeah. their Venture Day, um, and when we come to Rice Alliance, you know, we talk to the investors and all the ecosystem players in the networking event. So good job there. Yeah. The Rice Alliance. I want to call out that. Uh, but now we are convinced more than convinced to be here.
1: Good know that Rice Alliance runs the, some of the best events for mm. like, the investor networking. I'm always impressed how how um, how uh, how well put together it is. And uh, without a hitch, at least it seems to us from the
0: outside.
2: Yeah, and it all yeah. started with us being part of uh, when I was in B school, part of the Rice Alliance. Uh, business school competition yeah mm. b plan competition which yep. is one of the good ones mm. yeah
0: the best the biggest ones yeah yeah yep. mm.
2: and then and then finally we were part of their clean tech accelerator mm. Mm. so it kind of came in full circle
1: yeah yeah mm. no they've, they've been doing a good job really anchoring the, the ecosystem here in houston so
2: good
0: yeah what is the one thing our audience could do to support you on your goals
2: I think I'm just people. I want to talk to Mm. more people, uh, Mm. get to know more people in Houston. We are coming here. So please, Mm. um, you know, we'll reach out. And if you see us, uh, talk to us. We'll talk to you.
0: You haven't found Office Space yet, have you? Uh,
2: No. No. HETI, they are helping us find one. So Mm. there's a meeting tomorrow as well. But uh, we'll be here soon. Mm. Talking to people, making more connections, um, you know, making more connections in the ecosystem, investors, customers, especially Mm. the pipeline customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very new segment for us. Mm-hmm. That's all something we, we we look forward to.
0: And how can they reach out?
2: Uh, my uh, email very easy, Manas M A N A S at Earthn.energy, mm-hmm. dot Energy, or just LinkedIn me. Mm-hmm. Probably the uh, top two guys you will find when you look <laughs> me up in LinkedIn. Yeah, we'll
0: <laughs> we'll add your contact details in the show notes yep. so people can easily get in touch.
2: Yes. Good. Well, thank you for being here with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Phenomenal. Uh, I appreciate your time. Yeah, and uh, you know, just just you know, great job that you all are doing for mm-hmm. Houston. I think uh, it it speaks volume mm-hmm. for people outside Houston, and and that helps people outside Houston come to Houston and and see the ecosystem firsthand. So thank you. Good.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show. You can learn more about this company on DW Insights, a marketplace for energy technologies. On the platform, you can access early new episodes and content, and you can also discover exciting technologies. If you like the show, share it with a friend or give us a review on your podcast platform. Lastly, if you have an entrepreneur in Houston that you'd like
3: to hear more about, let us know and we'll try to bring them in. See you next week on Energy Tech Startups.